My name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at the Parks Church, and you've done well. You've already been seated. I didn't even have to instruct you in that. It's good to uh, see everyone here this morning on Father's Day, and I want to wish uh, all of you dads uh, in the room a happy Father's Day. We're so thankful that you are here, thankful for you, Um, and uh, I know that uh, you have probably been waiting for this, much like when you get on the plane, you wonder when they're going to pass the peanuts. Um, we are going to uh, send the attendants around to pass out some beef jerky that I uh, just uh, permit you to indulge in right now. You don't even have to wait for the, the service to end, and um, I won't consider it any sort of lack of righteousness as you uh, just enjoy beef jerky. So dads, take a, a, a bag of jerky and enjoy that as we um, study Proverbs chapter 2, these beautiful young ladies. On this side of the aisle, uh, there's another one over here, all right? The middle aisle will come to you eventually. You're, you're at the back of the plane on this aisle, I suppose. <laughs> you're sitting there looking at the front wondering, will they ever get to me? Seriously, we are so grateful for you dads um, and uh, thankful uh, that you're here. And I know uh, we probably have a few guests and dads in from out of town worshiping with us this morning. And um, we just want to say a word of welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here uh, with your family and um, just rejoice in you being with us. And as uh, in God's providence, we did not um, uh, plan this. I can't take credit for it. Um, but as often has happened in the life of our church, we are working our way through uh, Proverbs, this book. Uh, We are in the first chapter, and we're going to hear, and as we just heard Brandon read for us, um, words from a father to his son, and uh, um, instruction, and warning, and um, just guidance given to him in the first chapter. And um, if you weren't with us last week, um, Proverbs chapters 1 through 9 are really this uh, invitation and and really a calling to say, hey, you need to seek out wisdom. They are, in essence, the sales pitch for the rest of the book. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, and the first nine chapters is essentially... The author saying, you need to pay attention. You need to seek out wisdom. There are other things that you can listen to in the world, but would you just please, would you listen to wisdom? Would you seek it out? And as I shared last week, we have in the Old Testament the law, and in the New Testament the gospel and the good news of who Jesus is, and we need both of those things. Those are uh, essential to life. In fact, we cannot have life without them. But isn't it amazing that God, the God who created the world, who, knew, who knows every atom and every molecule exactly where it is and has put it there on purpose, loved us enough to not just give us these big truths, these things that we can anchor our lives to, but also invited us into a relationship with Him through Christ and gives us in the book of Proverbs practical wisdom, just how to live life, how to go about making our way in this hard and broken life. Um, Proverbs is a, uh, a great source and is full of wisdom. And so, as we continue in our, the first chapter here, we are just hearing the author speak to us. This proverb of Solomon is this author. Solomon talking here with his teenage son, more than likely saying, listen to me. 
I want you to hear from me. And as we get to listen in on this conversation from an earthly father to an earthly son, God was kind enough to put this in the book so that we could read it and we could receive this word from our heavenly father to all of us. Whether you're a son or a daughter, this is a word from our father about how to live life how to make it through this life. In verse 8, he pleads with his son, hear, my son, hear. Hear it. Don't just, don't just let these words fall away too quickly, but hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. Listen to what we have to say to you. And in the first uh, couple of verses there, we are told he is given this offer of wisdom. Wisdom comes to him from his father and his mother's teaching. And he describes what can happen if he, the son would pursue wisdom and would listen to the wisdom that he would give to him. This wise dad is telling his son what the world is like. You know, some of us as dads and as parents, we often think we might need to protect our children and shield them from the things of the world. And in and, uh, and, and, and maturity and age, there are definitely things as they grow that we um, keep from them, protect them, kind of guide their hearts. That is wise. But here this dad is saying to his son, son, I'm going to tell you, you're, you're old enough to know. I'm just going to tell you like it is. This is what you're going to experience. This is the world that we live in. And son, you need to know what it looks like so you can be warned, so you can be um, wise, and so you can walk wisely amongst other people. And so he's telling him what to expect, what life should look like. And so he's speaking with him and he's giving him wisdom. And this is what he says about the instruction that he's about to give, the wisdom that he's sharing. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. For they, these things that I am sharing with you, the, the, the life lessons that I'm about to teach you, they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. One of the things that sometimes we struggle when we read Proverbs and then even more broadly the Bible as a whole, there's some, some illustrations and some things used that seem a little bit out of date for us, that we don't get the context. But when he says there that these, the wisdom that he's offering, the instruction and the teaching of his mother are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck, these are symbolic. The garland was placed on the victor's head as a crown, acknowledging he was victorious. You can think of the days of the Olympics where they would put the olive crown on their heads to say, here is the champion, here's the one who won the race. And so the graceful garland around his head was a marker, he says. This wisdom, the teaching of your mother and I, what we are trying to tell you will give you victory and will reveal to you the victor in life. Not just a race, not something here just in earthly terms, but the victory of life. And the pendant around the neck was a symbol of prestige as one who is set apart. It acknowledged, it, 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 it showed the world that as people looked in, here's one who has a crown around his head and a pendant around his neck. There's something unique and special about this person. And the thing that we can learn from this and know is that the wisdom of God is wisdom that makes us attractive, even beautiful. I know, dads, that's not something we think about when we stare at the mirror, how to make ourselves beautiful. But we as a people of God, we want to be beautiful to a lost and dying and broken world, attractive to those around us. And I'm clearly, and God is not here speaking of physical attractiveness. 
He's not speaking of a literal crown or a literal pendant, but wisdom as we live in line with how God would instruct us to live and gives us guidance through this book. That we look different. We look as the people have been set apart. God's people are always set apart, look different to the world. And one of the greatest challenges of our culture today is the fact that we have lost that so often. The people of God, those who call ourselves Christians, when we analyze and examine our lives, there is no clear line of demarcation that says, this is what the Christian looks like, this is the world, and there's a separation there. God says that we are to be of the world, but not in the world. Or excuse me, in the world, but not of the world. Look, I got it backwards there. None of y'all mocked me. Y'all are supposed to do that. Keep the preacher in line here. I, we're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. What that means is that we live and we are amongst the people and we love unconditionally. And this is not a line of judgment to see this separation, but it is that the world that is broken and lost and has no hope and is searching and clawing for any search, uh, source of significance and hope and love, they look and they see there's some people that live in this world with me that look radically different. And they look beautiful, and their life is attractive. It's full with hope and joy. They sing about death as if it's not something to be feared. That's weird. That doesn't line up with what I think. And some of you may be thinking that as we sang some of the songs this morning. You're like, those are some strange words. Yes, they are strange words because God has promised us that he has given us life and life eternal. And so we therefore do not fear death. To live as Christ and to die as gain. Again, that sounds really weird. All of those things are the wisdom of God, the truth of God coming into our hearts. And it causes us to look differently. And so as we examine our hearts and we allow the Holy Spirit to speak, one of the challenges that I hope as we work our way through Proverbs is, are we living with the wisdom of God? Is His wisdom what is instructing and guiding us? And is it, if it is truly doing the work that God would intend it to do, we will look different. We will look separate. We will look other. The world will look at us. And sometimes they might mock, but they will also, in the privacy of their own homes, when they lay their heads down on the pillow, they will think and they will say, that is a people who are beautiful. And when they walk in the presence of this church, some of you for the very first time are here this morning, you walk in and you experience the family of God, the beauty of of what he has created here. That's not anything that any man has created. That's the spirit of God at work in this place. We become attractive to the world. That's what we are after. We're not after it for our own gain. We are after it for the glory of God. Now, he gives a, this warning against sin in verse 10, my son of sinners entice you. And we're going to get to that in a moment. But one of the things that we have to acknowledge is that we don't look that way very often. We struggle to do that. If you're like me, living in the world, but not being of the world, and living as Christ would call me to live, and living with God's wisdom, that's hard. And I fail at that on a regular basis. Romans 13, 14 says this, that we are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. If we would think more often of this idea that, yes, we are going to struggle to live wisely in the world, we're going to struggle to do all the things that God's Word instructs us to do, but the way that we can do that most effectively is we put on Christ. We put on the wardrobe of Christ. We look like Christ. And as we do that, as we put on Christ, we become winsome. 
and attractive. And when we put on Christ, we can hear from the Father. We can hear the wisdom that he gives to us. When we do that, he's giving us his glory. He who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We might look glorious. Because the world looks at us and they say, that's not like me. That's something other. That's from God. We put on Christ when we live with the wisdom of God. And too often, we substitute, rather than putting on Christ, we substitute and try to come up with some self-realized or self-achieved glory. Even when we're doing that for God's glory, we'll say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And at the end of it, we sort of tag it for God's glory. But it's not something that comes from the heart of putting on Christ. It comes from wanting the praise of man. It's from wanting something from the world that God didn't intend for us to get from the world. We put on Christ. And so we lose when we do this. This is a wrong equation when we try to substitute self-realized or self-achieved glory for God's glory. I'll share with you before about my grandfather. He was not a man that anyone in this world would know of. The reality is, the truth is, is that outside of a few, his family and perhaps a few lingering friends, his name is almost forgotten on this world. He is barely remembered. I love him. He's the wisest man I've ever known. He was, in all things, relatively average. But he lived with the wisdom of God. He pursued the wisdom of God. And because of that, in spite of the fact that he was just about as normal as you could be, nothing spectacular, no extra accolades, yes, a war hero and some other things, but all in all, just a man who pursued God and lived for God and sought his wisdom. And as he did that, he brought glory to the Father. He didn't achieve any glory that's any much lasting past his own life and the life of his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. But he lived for God's glory. Glory was returned to God as he put on Christ. And I just would invite us to imagine if everyone we encountered in this city and those who visited this church who walked in here, they knew us for our attractiveness because of the way we lived with wisdom as we put on Christ. And they could say, I disagree with them. I really don't like the positions that they hold. But they live in such a way that is beautiful. They live with love and with grace and with kindness, and they are fair. They are people that I, although don't understand all their things that they believe in, I'd like to emulate them. They're others-focused. Imagine if that's what was said about us, the people of God, and all of the people of God that are gathered in various churches in this city. As we listen to the wisdom of God this morning, we put on Christ, and this is who we become. But there's also a warning that is given, and most of this text that was uh, read for us is the warning, beginning in verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, another word for hell, the people and all of the, 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 the devil and all of his schemes, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. And we shall find all precious goods. We shall in, we'll fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us and we will all have one purse. 
Wisdom offers us the crown and the pendant that can only be given by God. But it also warns us about the entanglements that come because we live in this broken world. We live in a world where sin reigns. Now, as I said, I'm going to get to this. He he says, if sinners entice you, and we would acknowledge those of us as Christians, we would say, well, we're all sinners. That's why we needed Jesus. And that's how we became Christians, by the way, by acknowledging that that is all true. So if we say that we're all sinners, I don't think that I've, you know, enlisted people to go and kill and pillage and seek after blood and join a gang. That's not really the kind of thing I'm usually doing, Pastor. No, but we are all sinners. What he's talking about here, though, are those, those habitual sinners, sinners who actively and continually seek out evil. Why? Because of their self-indulgence, their need for self-gain and self-realized glory rather than thinking of others. It's true. I haven't. Some of you perhaps might. I don't know all of your backstories, but it's, it's not in my life story that I've been invited to join a gang and do, go and do violence against other people and plunder and do all of the things that he is describing here. But as we scroll down and look at the text further, we see in verse 19, this is the description given. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. So I haven't done all of those things, but I have been someone who has lived with greed, desired things that God did not give to me, and not been satisfied with the things that God has given me. And ultimately, while this is a dark and very broken description of people who are like that, we can all acknowledge that we have been people who haven't trusted God with everything. We haven't been satisfied with what God has given us. We've thought, I have a better way. I'll go after things my own way. So the father in this passage is giving his son a warning about the types of people he's going to see experience and face in this world. Some of you know we're sending our oldest son off to college here in just a few weeks And I've had some conversations with him over not just the recent months, but over the last few seasons. He's kind of this season of life where I'm telling him about these things that he might encounter, these challenges of life that could come up. And the father in this passage is telling the son, these are the type of people. This is what's going to happen to you, son. Be ready for it. And what we need to acknowledge is that all of this, as I said, is rooted in a lack of faith or trust in God. I need to go after something that I see in the world that God has not intended to give to me yet or perhaps won't ever, but I want it, and I'm going to figure out a way to get it. Have you ever thought like that? I have. This is my desire. This is the desire of my flesh. I will have that. I will achieve that. I will make that happen. And all of that is a lack of faith. And so one of the things that we just must realize as we read this, and even though this sounds a little bit far-fetched for our own hearts perhaps, we need to realize that sin is real and sin is an issue that we have to deal with. The father is saying to his son, sin is going to come after you. Notice what he says there. My son, if sinners entice you, Sin comes and tries to peddle its wares and say, come on, this is what you need to do. This is what you should indulge in. These are the things that I can give to you. 
Jesus warned us of the same thing in John 10.10. He says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came to give you life and have it in abundance. But the, the thief comes and he entices you and he tries to give you and tempt you into believing and exchanging the truth for a lie. Some of you might be familiar with the story of Genesis. Go all the way back to creation. And what, did hap- what happened? The serpent comes up and asks Eve, did God really say, let me entice you to believe that what God said is not really true, what God's plans for you are not really the best, what God desires for your life probably is some sort of holding you back. Surely God wouldn't want to keep this thing from you because it's got to be good. It looks great. It'll make sense. Sin tempts us to believe anything. It tempts us to say that I want this thing that God has not decided to give to me yet. And now let me justify all the reasons why I can make that happen. And then let me even go further and say that it's right to the rest of the world and convince others to join with me in this. That's what the Father is instructing the Son to remember. 1 Peter says this in chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. One of the reasons that we are so much and so often tempted to just fall in line and live as the world lives and have no separation and not to pursue the wisdom of God is because we have forgotten and we have lost sight of the very real warning that sin roams around like a, roaring, a lion ready to devour us, to kill us. Kyle mentioned the team that's going to Kenya and in past trips we've had an opportunity to go on a safari at least one of the days or some portion you go out into these places some of the uh, wildlife refuges that are there in Africa and we've been able to see lions and the guides are very very clear do not exit the vehicle I promise you it looks very far away it even looks cute right now but it will not be when it comes to devour you And it will if you get too close, if you get in the way, you do the wrong thing. They are radical about you're not exiting this vehicle. How many of us as we live this life are we radical about the fact that we are not exiting the vehicle when there is sin on the prowl ready to tempt us and destroy us and to kill us? We don't live like that. We think to ourselves and we justify because that's what sin tempts us to do. It entices us to do. I can step into this world. I can step into this life. I can step into this situation. I can do this differently. I know everyone else around me has failed and has seen the results of sin impacting their life, but I've got this. They just don't know how spiritual I am. They don't know how prayed up I am in this. And God is saying to us here, do not exit the vehicle. It's going to kill you. And then we get down out of the vehicle and that lion comes and destroys us and rips off our legs. Sorry to get so crude there. (laughs) And then we wonder, as we're (laughs) making our way back to the family of God and we say, I don't know what happened. My life has been taken from me. This is sobering for me. I can't tell you the number of pastors that I've watched fall because they thought themselves too highly, too self-righteous that they could exit the vehicle and sin came and got them. 
in their lives, their marriages, their ministry, the glory of God in their city has been diminished because they thought they were better than what God had to say. Be sober-minded, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, friends. Don't think that you can do differently, that you can do better. We've got to be sober about the temptations that come our way. We've got to understand that, yes, this proverb sounds like, I don't remember the last time I was lying in wait for blood, but that is what we are tempted to do. And we need to just acknowledge the thoughts and the sinfulness of our heart and the enticements that come our way so that we can give those over to the Lord and that we can trust Him. Again, if you're thinking to yourself, I don't think I lie and wait for blood. What happens when your neighbor has something you want? They pull up in that new vehicle that you've been desiring. You hate them for it. Just, just be honest. It drives you crazy. They didn't deserve that. How can they afford that? They must be dumb. What happens when your kid doesn't get selected for the team or the program or the event that you think he should get in? You hate that team. You hate those coaches. You hate all the other kids that did get it. Just be honest. Sin comes to entice us. What happens when you get passed up for that promotion? You hate the person who got the promotion. Or when you don't get invited to that party, you hate everyone that's there. You hate the organizer. That's what happens in our heart. And when we end up hating them, we go and we try and recruit others and say, will you come and hate these people with me? Will you come and take them down with me? Will you speak evil against them with me? Because that's what sin does. It entices us and then calls us to gather together. It's a recruiting tool. Let's think about this. Let's hate together. And so before we think of ourselves, and I am speaking to my own heart here, that we have not lied and wait for blood, let's just acknowledge and be real the hate that exists in our own hearts. And that's why we need Jesus. That's why we need his wisdom and his life. Because there is another way. There is the way of the Father here. My son, in verse 15, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil. Hold back. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all things acknowledge His ways. God's ways are higher than our ways. This alternative for us as the Christian, as the church, as the people of God, leads us to how we should look and act differently. Because what we are after, by the way, think of all the things. Just, to, just imagine again the, all the things that are enticing us, the entanglements of sin, and what is the end result of those things? Temporary, earthly, maybe, I'm going to use the word gain, but that's even potentially overstating the facts. Whatever we're after as we get enticed into sin and we follow the ways of the world, it's always temporary and fleeting. What are we after? People of God, what is it that we desire? The crown of victory, the pendant 
from God. His glory given to us and not something that the world could give to us as a substitute. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. We are to be a beautiful and attractive people as we live seeking the wisdom of God, listening to the wisdom of God, making decisions and fleeing from sin and putting up the proper barriers so that we might not be tempted into those things so that we could be called the sons and daughters of God. Jesus came because He knew our hearts. He knew our temptation to sin. He knew the reality that we would choose other things before choosing Him. And so He came and He laid down His life on the cross to make us new, to create for Himself a new people. Colossians 3.15 says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So this is how we become peacemakers. We remember the gospel and we allow the gospel to rule our hearts. We remember that Christ came and he gave us peace, peace with God himself. And as we have been given peace and received that peace, we then become peacemakers. The promise of Jesus is that when we live as peacemakers, we will be known for who we are, the sons and daughters of God. We will look attractive to the world. So let me remind you of this, brothers and sisters. God has made peace with you through the shed blood of his son so that we no longer have to pursue the blood of others. We can just lay down our lives and live with trust and faith in who God is and his promises to us. Know that. Believe it this morning. Believe that God, through Christ, has made peace with you. You are not an enemy of God in spite of all of the things that we just acknowledged together, the sinfulness of our own hearts and the temptations that come our way and how we then strive to sometimes entice others to sin with us. All of those things are true. And yet God has said, you're my son, you're my daughter. I have made peace with you. Not because of anything clearly that we have done, but only because that peace came through the shed blood of Christ. And so every day, When we wake up in the morning, we remember the gospel. We remember that God has made peace with us, a peace that we did not deserve. And in that, we then become people who offer it and give peace and become peacemakers. And as the peacemakers roam around the world, go in and out of this city, in and out of this church, and all the places that God will lead us, people say, those are the sons and daughters of God. Blessed are those people. I'm going to close with this quote from C.S. Lewis from his book, Mere Christianity. And I just want you to think about this as you think about others. And you consider all of the situations that other people are in and remember the peace of God that has been given to you. When you've reached your own room, be kind to those who have chosen different doors and to those who are still in the hall. If they are wrong, they need your prayers all the more. And if they are your enemies, then you are under orders to pray for them. That is one of the rooms that is common to the whole house. As the people of God, we have been welcomed into the room with Christ. And there are those that are on the outside, still waiting, thinking in the hallway, deciding which door they might choose. Our responsibility is to be people of peace, 
people who acknowledge the peace that has been given to us by God and who freely offer that peace to the world. And we do that as we love freely and we pray earnestly. Praying for those people that are outside, wondering what it is that are you doing in there? What's in your room? And trust that God has got it all figured out. So let us be people of wisdom. Let's listen to our Heavenly Father's instructions and not forsake His teaching. And let us be peacemakers and be called the sons and daughters of God. Let's pray to that end. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your truth, your wisdom, wisdom that you've given to us. More than that, God, I thank you for the peace that has come to me through your Son, my Savior, Jesus Christ. I worship you this morning because I was not deserving of that peace. I didn't do anything to earn that. But Jesus, you laid down your life freely to make peace with me. So I pray that we would just as Colossians exhorted us to, to just remember, to ponder, to realize that we have been given peace. And through that, would you make us peacemakers? Not so that we would get more glory, not so that we'd be considered, oh, those are the nicest people in town or the, anything like that, but so that we would be called sons and daughters of God so that the lost world who does not know you this morning would peer into our lives, see the way we live, empowered by the Holy Spirit to not go the way of the sinners, to not fall into the traps, but to follow you and to submit our lives wholly to you with faith and trust in who you are and what you have given us. Help us to be those type of people so that you would receive the glory in this church, in this city, and around the world. I got to thank you for your truth this morning. I pray as we wrestle with the conviction that you have spoken to our hearts, we'd also remember your kindness and your grace. And if there's anyone in this room that does not know that peace that you have come to offer, that you would just spur their hearts to come have a conversation, to just listen to you, to just open up your word wherever you might lead them, to, to take steps of faith, to just further along the conversation that you've begun with them this morning. We thank you, Lord. We trust you. Help us to do that each day. I pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Parks Church of Melissa podcast. We meet at 1030 Sunday mornings at Melissa Middle School, and we look forward to seeing you there soon. The Parks Church, for the city about a person.